1: This has nothing to do with our uh, message today, but on Thursday in this very room, I was a part of a boot camp here at the YMCA, and they decided that we should do like hundreds of uh, squats and different things, and just as I was walking up there, my left leg gave out, and I thought I was going to fall in front of all of you. It didn't, but I just wanted to explain that if I collapse all of a sudden, you'll know why, because I'm in, I'm in lunge overload this week, so uh, that's a little background on me trying to lose some wait before the holidays that you didn't want to know about. But anyway, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a series called Happy Holidays with a question mark there uh, at the end. And the reason that question mark is there is because some of us uh, don't know exactly what this time of year means to us and we're not sure what our attitude is on it. I read a study that said that 88% of Americans think this is the most stressful time of the year Um, I thought about saying, who agrees with that or who thinks this is the most stressful time of the year? But some of you are sitting next to the people that stress you out, so we can't do that. So I'm just gonna know that you're probably with me on this, that maybe you're stressed out about something, maybe you're stressed out. Uh, because you get to hang out with family. Maybe you're stressed out because family are the people that you don't wanna hang out with and relationships can be complicated. Maybe you're excited to buy presents in the next coming weeks and uh, maybe you're, you're excited uh, to, to receive presents. Maybe you're also thinking, great, I've got some credit card debt that'll go into the new year because of those presents. So usually this time of year uh, means busyness and it means a, a lot of things. And and so we've just been uh, in this series for a couple weeks here just to, to simply look at the Christmas story, look at the arrival and the birth of Jesus and look at the beautiful, simple truth and, and what that means for our lives to not be distracted by other things. So for this next uh, couple of minutes, we wanna just hit the pause button, call a timeout, and uh, you don't have to worry that you have to go to your grandma's Christmas gathering and talk to your cousins that you don't like or whatever, whatever's stressing you out, you didn't get the holiday bonus you want, okay, I'll stop, all right? But, but whatever, whatever's stressing you out, we want to just take a moment, look at the Christmas story and forget all that stuff. So I want to actually invite you this morning uh, to, to turn in your Bible, if you've got one there, to Matthew uh, chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under your seat or around you there. You can look on your phone if you want, but there's, there's probably a Bible right there at your feet if you look. And we're going to be on page 733, page 733. We're going to read the, uh, the Christmas story here out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew 1, on page 733. And we're going to go into uh, chapter 2 here and see what we can learn, what God wants to show us this morning. So let me read this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, page 733. It says this, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I'm sure that isn't the first time that most of us have heard that story. In fact, if I were to guess, I'm assuming that everyone in here could probably tell me some of the key phrases from the Christmas story as it's told in the book of Luke and this one in the book of Matthew. There are phrases that we just know, like wrapped him in snugly strips of cloth, right? Or, 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 or laying lying in a manger. There, there are ways that we repeat this, even, even things like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If we were to run across words that complicated that we never see in a book, we'd be like, I don't even know how to pronounce those words. But gold, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just rolls off the tongue right because this is a, a time of year when when we 're used to hearing this story when we're used to traditions when we 're used to things that that happen and even though the Christmas season lasts like three months now we, we know this this story right it seems like Christmas from last year was was just over like six months ago and we're we're back in this and sometimes when something is a, a tradition, I think that, that we can maybe take it for granted or maybe we just we gloss over it because we 're around it we're, we're in it so much that we we let it lose power and so what I want to do this Morning, in the name of having fresh eyes, is read another account, another version, another angle from the Christmas story. But first, I want to I tell you this. Many of you have uh, heard me talk about my wife's family. They, uh, they are very, very German. We celebrate the most German Christmas Eve ever. I've told you about that before. I've joked about that. They eat like cold meats and clear jellies called salsa and stuff that I've never heard of on Christmas Eve. And they sing German songs that I don't know. And those of us that are the in laws of the family just sit there very confused. I've joked about that before. And And I don't mean to pick on them, but it's kind of funny. So, anyway, a couple of years ago, uh, my, uh, my mother-in-law uh, was talking to my, my wife's grandfather and uh, he's the one who, who came here from Germany. And she said, hey, uh, Opa, will you maybe take a moment just to tell the family uh, what was Christmas like when you were a child? What was Christmas like when you were growing up? Why do you like us to, to celebrate in this way? And so he began to talk about his childhood and some of us had heard bits and pieces, but some of those things don't get talked about often. And so uh, he said, well, to start things off, you guys get a lot of presents here. He's like, you're probably gonna get a couple hundred dollars worth of presents, and he's looking around at us, and we kind of all felt judged, but he was right, you know, and he said, he said, do you know what I hoped to get when I was little? If I was really good and it was a great year, there would be one of my socks nailed to the the fireplace, and and if I woke up and everything went great that year, I would get an orange in the bottom of that sock, and he's like, and you guys are mad if you don't get an Xbox, and we were like, okay, point for Opa, right? So he went on to to tell us this, and, and he told us that actually when his father uh, was, was when they were living in Germany, uh, was when the, the Nazi regime kind of rose to power. And, and so his father uh, tried to stand against them in his community when he was asked to join in what they were doing. And uh, they weren't obviously happy about that. And so what they did is they forced him into the army and they put him on the front lines so that he would be captured. And he was a, a prisoner of war who was captured by Russia. And uh, grandpa's dad, Kristen's great-grandfather was gone and was a prisoner of war in Russia for eight years. And he was able to send one letter to his family. They didn't even know if he was still alive or what was going on. And so Kristen's grandpa grew up in a family back then where the father would provide, and that's usually where a lot of the the work was done, and he had the job, and so everyone had to work, and they were barely able to make uh, ends meet and, and pay the bills, and so that's why, as he told this story, if it was a really great year, they might have enough money that they could get each one of the kids an orange. And he's telling us this, and I'm like, I'm a terrible person, and I will never judge the German Christmas again, right? And, and he's, he's telling us these things, and, and he said, uh, there's something else I, I want you guys to know, that, that after eight years, one day, my dad just miraculously walked in the door. He was accidentally released from that uh, POW camp, and, and he, was, he was able to come home, but when he got home, uh, he still had a lot of trauma from, from being a prisoner, and so he would have night terrors, and so that's the reason that our family moved to America, because he was never able to adjust back to normal life. He was always afraid of what would happen in his country. And so Kristen's grandpa told us all this stuff. And he said, the reason that we celebrate is because I never want my family, I never want them to forget where they came from. I never want them to stop being grateful for who they are. And I never want them to forget all that they have and all the blessings that they have here in America. That sounds a little different than when I make fun of my, my German family, right? Sometimes, sometimes some, some context can change how you you view the story. And so I want us to look, like I said, at another passage today, because I think sometimes we, we hear the Christmas story. We, we think, all right, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, angels, cool, baby Jesus, wise men. All right, got it. I know that story. It's awesome. And that's a tradition that we hear and we, we gloss over it. And so I want to take us to Isaiah chapter nine, as, uh, as Don mentioned this morning. And I want us just to, uh, to look at this passage and see um, the, the Christmas story from another angle. This is Isaiah chapter nine, verses six to seven. It's on page 523, if you've got one of those Bibles. But this is uh, just a prophecy that was uh, before the birth of Jesus that was speaking forward to this. And I think it gives us some different perspective on this story. It says this, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For a child is born to us See, Isaiah chapter nine is a prophecy about a future child who this, this, this nation and this government would, would rest on. They were told there that the government would rest on his shoulders, that, that this child would be called by titles that could really only rightfully be attributed to God. And so this prophecy that was looking forward, looking forward to the birth of Jesus and kind of forecasting the Christmas story, it's one of the most well-known Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. But I think for us to understand what it would mean, I want us this morning to take a look at some of the different audiences that would have read this passage. The book of Isaiah speaks to people that were living in three different time periods. I think most of us know that the Old Testament is uh, the story of the nation of Israel, God's people. God told a man named Abraham that he would make him into a great nation, that he would make his people into a, a great country. And God made a covenant with them. God journeyed with them. And the Old Testament is the story of God's journey with the Israelites and uh, all of the different things that they went through. There were moments that they were, they were obedient. There were moments that they were disobedient. There were moments that they were following God. There were moments that things weren't going so well. Maybe you know the story of when God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Maybe you've heard from some of the, the different accounts of when God would rescue them and bring them through times of war and bring them judges and, and kings. The reality is that, that God blessed the nation of Israel. God had called them out of slavery. God was going to give them this incredible land. and they often times just struggle to keep their eyes on him. And my favorite thing about the nation of Israel is that I can look at them and judge them even though they remind me of myself a lot. And so the the Old Testament is, is not just about Israel. I think it's often about you and I and our ability to be obedient and keep our eyes on God. And some of you may know a man named David of David and Goliath fame, the famous story in the Old Testament. He eventually became the king of Israel and not long after he was gone... His kids and his, his family were not able to handle the kingdom in the same way that he had. And so the kingdom split into two pieces. Now, part of the kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC. And part of the kingdom would later be taken over by the Babylonians but these were some of the audiences that would have read this passage looking forward to the birth of Jesus. There would have been people who would have read this story as their nation was falling apart, as their nation had fallen apart, and after their nation had fallen apart. And so chapter 9 of Isaiah is speaking to all of these different audiences. These are all people that would have read this passage, and it would have meant a different thing to each one. The first audience is this, the audience who would have read this as their country was falling apart. The southern tribes were the tribes that had been basically obedient and were often looking to God. The northern tribes had had already been taken over, already been captured. And so the northern tribes and some other tribes around were talking to the southern tribes and they were saying, hey it's not good. We're about to be taken captive. You guys are about to be taken captive. This isn't good. We're all going to be taken out of here. We're all going to be deported. And so the audience reading this would have been afraid of what was about to take place, what was about to happen. They didn't fully understand what, what God was telling them. They didn't fully understand God's plan. But here's what they would have seen in the words of Isaiah 9 as their enemies from the north and their enemies from Assyria continued to grow and and put pressure on them. And as they saw their enemies grow in strength and tighten their grasp, they didn't know if God was for them or against them. They knew that they were God's people. They knew that they were supposed to be this chosen country. They knew that there were ups and downs and there were times they were obedient and times they were disobedient and they'd seen a lot of things happen. But it seemed in these moments that their country was falling apart. It seemed that it was inevitable that they were gonna be taken over. And so they would have read this and not completely understand it. But here's what this audience would have seen as they read those words. Because this prophecy was talking about their future defeat. It was referring to this inevitable exile where their people would be taken out of the country and maybe even the return where they would be brought back. And so it included these prophetic visions of a of a child. And they probably didn't understand exactly what that meant. But that child represented to them that God's presence was with them. And so maybe you find yourself in the audience today that as you read this story and as you look forward to this, you can be reminded that God is present. Now, when we say that God is present, God brings his characteristics with him. And when he is present, that embodies just more than the fact that, hey, he's there. Maybe if, if I'm there, you know that there's probably going to be like some bad dad jokes that come along with me, right? If you invite me to your party, you're just going to have to stomach those and let me make some bad dad jokes. When God comes to your party, it's a whole different thing. And so when he's present, you can know that his holiness is with him. God is holy. God is good. God is eternal. God is gracious. And we could take 40 or 50 or, or 120 minutes just, just naming off the characteristics of God, but know that when God is present, that God's characteristics are present. They're, they're present and, and this this story would have reminded this prophecy would have told Israel that their god is present their god is part of their story and he's in their story and they needed reminded of that you might find yourself As someone that needs reminded of that today, I don't know how your holiday is shaping up, how your life is shaping up. If you feel like this has been a season where you've been close to God, a season where you've been obedient, a season where you feel like you've known God or where he's been close to you, but I want you to know that the Christmas story can remind us that God is present. Well, two chapters before Isaiah 9, before God says unto us, a child is born, we see the the birth of this child prophesied. And so I wanna just read an excerpt from Isaiah 7 to you. It says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The phrase Emmanuel means God with us. And so, just like chapter 9, verse 6, chapter 7 is also a prophecy about the birth of Jesus, about the coming of the Messiah, and about what's going to take place. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew quotes this when it recounts the story of the birth of Jesus. And this prophecy is an encouragement that even though things are not going how Israel wants, even though they know that their country is going to be taken over, even though these powerful countries from the north are inevitably going to just lay to waste everything that they know about their culture and their kingdom, and it's going to be the end of an era, they've been reminded that God is present, but now they're being reminded that God is with them. This prophecy is an encouragement that God is on their side. And this prophecy is an encouragement and an assurance that by the time that this child is grown, that these nations that they fear and these incredible empires that are going to steamroll them, they'll be gone and they'll be forgotten and they'll be erased. For unto us a child is born. Isaiah 9 speaks of a child and both passages describe Jesus' birth and character. And so when it says that the government will be on his shoulders, it means that he bears the responsibility of culture. It means that he bears the responsibility of mankind. The audience that would have read this after the fall of Israel was living in a time of absolute chaos if they thought things were bad as they were fearing what was going to happen to their country after their, their, their country was invaded and everyone was deported and things were torn apart and people were taken to different spots so that they could spread them out and, and take away every hint of their culture and their intelligence. After all of this happened, they would have looked back to those beginning years and thought, remember when we had it so good when it was just a fear? And yet the nation of Israel was living in this time of chaos and had no foundation. And so this was the second audience that would have read this passage, looking forward to this prophecy. They would have read a child is coming and the government will stand on his shoulders. And this is what we can look forward to. This is what God is doing. And they would have already been reminded that God is present, but this would have reminded them that God comforts us. We're not always in the spot we wanna be in. Our story is not always as we would write it. We haven't always been obedient and things are not always going great. I don't know where your holiday is or how your season is shaping up. I don't know if you got that Christmas bonus or you're excited to be around your family, but I want you to know that wherever you are, that God is present in your life and God comforts us as his people. We can look to him and we can know his love. We can know his character and we can feel his comfort. Well, two of the titles that were told about in Isaiah 9 that this child, the savior of the world would bear, they can kind of be said of of some people. There's a chance in here that you might be able to say one of your friends is a really good counselor. You might say when they're in the room, things are are just peaceful. Maybe you wouldn't describe your friends as that, but let's pretend that they're good people and you were. But some of these other titles that are said about this child are, are things that would just have to be said about God. You would never say whenever my friends in the room it just feels like he's mighty god. You would never say when my friends in the room she just she feels like she feels like an everlasting father. You know you just wouldn't you wouldn't say that about people that are human. These are names that would apply to God. And so the Israelites weren't expecting just some person. They weren't expecting some average person to come into the scene. When they would read this passage, they could be reminded that God was present and that God comforted them. But as they looked forward and looked at what was going to happen, who the Messiah would be, they didn't know what to think. It's easy for us now that we have the Old Testament and the New Testament to piece all these things together and be like, it's right here. They should have known the savior of the world was coming. Duh, Israelites, right? That's what we love to do. Look back on the Old Testament, and just judge them. We would have done it different. We would have done it better, but we probably wouldn't have, right? They had no concept of this incarnation. They had no concept that Israelites were going to have a savior who was more than an earthly king. And yet that's exactly what happened. The mighty God that they would receive, the everlasting Father that they would come to know, was not an immediate physical king. That's what Israel wanted, but that's not what they received. The kings that they were afraid of, the kings that they had feared were knocking on their door. And in their short-sighted plan, they thought we just need someone right now in this moment who can be slightly better than those kings, who can motivate us a little bit more, who can gather some armies, gather some wealth, keep us rallied together. We just need to defeat these people who came in and took all our stuff and ruined our country. We need to restore things to be a little bit better than the way they were and things will be great. But that wasn't God's plan. God had reminded them that he was present in their struggle as their country was falling apart. God had reminded them that he would comfort them as they suffered, as their their country laid in this this wasteland. And, And yet he was reminding them of something so much greater because this is how the third audience would have read this passage. In the Gospel of John, we read about the fulfillment of this prophecy. This country had been looking for an immediate physical king, a physical savior. And the child who bore these qualities was not born in that moment. He was born centuries later, not in the way they would have designed, not in the way they would have understood, but he wasn't just a human. He was the incarnation of the living God. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. In the gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel directly alludes to the famous prophecy when he tells Mary about Jesus who would be born and says this, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The only king who could reign forever and reign over his descendants and the only one who could rightfully hold all of these titles that God himself holds is not an earthly king, is not an earthly savior, but Israel was looking for this immediate remedy to their physical condition and to their spiritual condition and God's solution wouldn't come for centuries. But when God sent his solution, when God brought his plan full motion and when God did what he had been working toward, he sent his son Jesus and Jesus reigns forever and Jesus is the eternal solution. And so I don't know what audience you find yourself in. I don't know which version of this story might be the one that that you need to hear today, but I want you to know that God is present. God is present in your story. God was present in the story of Israel. God knew their struggle. God saw their struggle and God was in their story right alongside them, seeing his plan happen. And when God is present, the characteristics and the character of God are present. He's not just there and well, you should trust that and and know that, but when God is present, he brings his love and his grace and his truth with him and his characteristics and his character change the situations that he is in because of his presence. And that's why we can know that God comforts us. We don't just have to say, well, I think I'm supposed to feel comforted because God's here. No, God's character is what comforts us. We can know his character, we can trust his character, we can lean into his character and we can see his character as his presence is with us. And God didn't just want to change our situation or slightly fix our situation. God sent Jesus to be the eternal solution to the nation of Israel's situation and every situation after that that we find ourselves on this planet earth. Jesus is the eternal solution to the heartache we feel, to the separation we feel, to the fear we feel, to the anxiety we feel, to all the ways we see our obedience and our disobedience changing our lives and separating us from God and all the ways we feel our world and our earthly kingdoms and our lives and our families and our holidays coming unglued and falling apart. Jesus is the eternal solution to all those things. He wasn't the king that Israel thought they wanted and honestly, probably not the the king or the solution that you and I would choose, but he is the solution that changes eternity for all time because all of the heartache and all of the sin and all of the effects and things that we feel and know that were created by our disobedience were erased in one moment when he gave his life on the cross. He's the savior of the world because he saves us from the effects of our sins. Scripture tells us that when we know who he is, when we understand who he is and what he did on the cross, and when we ask him to, to, to come into our lives, to come into our hearts, to come into our situation and into the kingdoms that we've tried to create that are falling apart and say, Jesus, I'm not enough, but you are. Save me, erase my sin change my heart, transform my heart, transform my life. I want to live for you. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the eternal solution. Maybe you needed reminded of one of those views today. Maybe you just needed to know that God was present in your situation. Maybe you just needed to to trust that and be reminded of that. Maybe you needed to know that God is comforting you, that God is with you in your fight, that God's walking alongside you and that he cares for you. But maybe you needed reminded again that he's the eternal solution of your problems, of your situation and of the way that your situation might feel at moments like it's, it's falling apart. And maybe you're, you're someone that's grown up in church and you've grown up around the Christmas story and you've grown up around these things. And you could probably repeat most of the Christmas story and even quote the NIV because you were a good child who grew up in the 80s when every church read from the NIV. Or maybe you're an ESV guy or maybe, maybe you could come up here with a flannel graph that someone taught you in Sunday school and you could tell the Christmas story. Some of us know and trust these things. And when we hear this story, we think like, okay, great, God is present. God comforts us, Jesus is the eternal solution. I get that, thanks. I wanna suggest something to you this holiday season. You're going to find yourself around people who do not know that truth. You're going to find yourself in company where people do not fathom that there is is a solution. They do not fathom that there is comfort and they don't fathom that anyone would wanna step into their situation and be present because they think their life is is falling apart. They think their, their situation is never going to be saved. They think that things are never going to get better and that they've been forgotten and that their life is a lost cause. And I want you to know that God has has been the solution in your story so that you can be his hands and feet. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus as you're at your holiday party this year and as you're at your family Christmas and as you're talking to your cousin who's going through a divorce and as you're talking to your sibling who just lost their job you're going to find yourself in situations this holiday season where you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that doesn't just mean to say, hey, I'll pray for you. That means to be present in someone's situation because God is present in your situation and he was present with the nation of Israel. That means to comfort someone because God has shown you comfort. And then you turn around and show that same comfort. And that means to not just show people, hey, I got you this present or hey, I love you. That means to show them an eternal solution that has changed your life and transformed your heart and can transform theirs. This Christmas, you have an opportunity to do ministry and to be the hands and feet of Jesus out of the Christmas story. Not just because it's the right thing to do or because it's nice, but because Jesus has transformed you and changed you. And everyone that we see that interacts with Jesus, everyone we see that knows that truth, everyone in the Christmas story was quick to pass that on and tell someone else. From the shepherds, To the wise men, everyone who saw the truth of the savior of the world was quick to pass that on and tell someone else. So how can you, this holiday season, be present in someone's life and present in someone's story so that they can see Jesus? How can you comfort them? And how can you point them to Jesus, the eternal solution? Let me pray as we close. God, I thank you that for thousands of years, through different cultures, different kingdoms, we can see your story unfolding. Lord, that you love us. You sent Jesus to save this world, to be our savior. Lord, I think of the different audiences that would have read Isaiah 9 and the different ways that they they see you. Lord, there are moments that we look at you and we, we need reminded that you are a wonderful counselor. There are moments we look at you and we need reminded that that our culture and everything we know stands on your shoulders and there are moments that we just need reminded that you you bring peace. God, you sent Jesus and he's the eternal solution and so I pray that we will look to him this year. These next weeks and days as, as we get to celebrate, Lord, I pray that we will look to the solution, that we will look to you and we will just be grateful and thankful. And I pray that as you give us opportunities to be around friends and family who don't know you or maybe who have taken their eyes off you, Lord, that we'll just be reminded that as we, as we look to you and as we trust you, as we depend on you, as we know you, that we can point others to you also. Lord, help, help the people that we interact with to, to see your presence through our lives. Lord, help them to, to see your comfort through our lives and help us to live out the fact that you have transformed us and you are the solution. God, we we just want to be your hands and feet. We want to be a mobilized church over these next weeks. So we lay this at your feet. And Lord, just ask that you'll give us the words to say. Help us to think with your heart, to see people with your eyes, and to have your mind as we interact and love people as you would. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.